I spent a few weeks studying Maundy Thursday, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. What is Maundy Thursday? For starters, the word Maundy is, uh, it comes from the Latin word for commandment, which is pretty fitting as the Lord commanded us to keep his supper. And that's what we're going to read today. So let's turn now to the word. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 through 29. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you on this Maundy Thursday. A time for us to remember and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, the supper that helps us to remember what you have done and what you will do. God, we pray that now you would speak through me into all of our hearts. You would encourage us, convict us, and build us up. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we analyze this passage, we're going to divide it up into three sections. We'll start by talking about the Passover, and then we'll move to the betrayal, and we'll finish up with the supper. So the Passover. At the beginning of our passage, right, the disciples, they come to Jesus, and they're anticipating that they're going to be keeping the Passover. And they ask Jesus, Father, or Lord, what would you have us do? How should we prepare this Passover? And Jesus explains to them exactly what they're going to do. And in this moment, Jesus is telling the future. He is planning, he has this plan laid out. It would be easy for us to jump past the disciples' anticipation to that amazing point where we have a clear example of the divinity of Christ and God's sovereignty all wrapped up in Jesus' words. But let us not miss the fact that the disciples anticipated the Passover and they had set out to prepare for it. What do I mean by that. What do I mean by this anticipation? Well, we all go through different seasons of life where we have 
anticipation, right? We anticipate things. Right now, uh, Jerry and I are anticipating the birth of our daughter. And so with that, we have all of the things that go along with the preparation, right? We have to get the stroller situation right. We have to get the car seat situation right, the bottle situation, the nursery situation. Everything, we are anticipating this baby. We're preparing for her. Why? Because we have to take care of this baby when she arrives. We want to take care of this baby when she arrives. See, in a similar way, the disciples knew they had to prepare to keep the Passover. Because for thousands of years, the Israelites had been keeping the Passover and preparing to keep the Passover together the way the Lord had commanded them. They were anticipating all of the things required to keep the Passover. To us, the Passover may seem like something we don't anticipate. To us, it may seem like an old story, something we don't think about. Maybe it's just something in the Old Testament that doesn't have any relation to us. But friends, if we do not understand the Passover, we cannot understand the Lord's Supper. The Passover is outlined for the first time in Exodus chapter 12. And James read that part of that passage for us when our, in our Old Testament reading. But what we didn't read was Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 through 30. The verses immediately following that Old Testament reading, where the angel of death passes through. Let's turn there now. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 through 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. These are bone-chilling words from the book of Exodus. A house, not a single house, where death was not present. A death in every household, including the household of Israel. But wait, you might say. Was there a death in the households of Israel? Yes. See, the Lord promised the Israelites that if they sacrificed the lamb, if they killed the Passover lamb, as a symbol of the requirement for their redemption, and they put that blood, the symbol of the death, on the doorpost, then he would pass over their house and spare them from the judgment. But the Passover lamb was killed in the place of the firstborn of the Israelites. No house got by that night without experiencing death. It was to come to all but the Lord provided the Israelites a way of escape, a way to escape from the horror of losing their firstborn children. The Passover meal was kept that night. It was kept in order the way that the Lord had laid it out. And it was given to the people as a symbol to be kept every year after that, a symbol to remember what had been done in Egypt to deliver them from that judgment. But it also served as a reminder pointing to them what would be done thousands of years later. It points forward, it pointed then to their physical deliverance from the slavery in Egypt, but it would point forward to the spiritual deliverance from sin. This Passover feast was a teaching tool for the people of Israel and a reminder for them of who God is and what he's going to do for his people. 
Just like the Jewish people throughout the centuries, the disciples, they were anticipating this feast as they went to Jesus. They knew they had to find some unleavened bread. They had to get a lamb. They had to kill it. They had to roast it just right. They had to burn the guts on the altar. And they had to find a place where they could all eat this meal together. They had a lot to do. With this context in mind, it is no accident that Jesus enters the city the day the Passover feast is to be kept. Jesus enters the city as he is preparing to eat his last meal. And it's precisely on the day of the Passover that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, directly connecting the two. And just like their forefathers, the disciples did as the Lord commanded. They prepared the feast. The first half of our stage is set. We've begun to understand the Passover and all that goes in. But now, what happens next? Betrayal. As Jesus sits with his 12 closest friends around the table, eating the Passover together, all of them knowing the idea, right, that the death of one can provide the life another has been worked into the minds of the people, all of them sitting around this table thinking about what the Passover meal is, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Christ is showing us here. He knows what's going to happen. But why does he choose this moment? Why does he choose this moment? Why doesn't he wait till after they've enjoyed their meal? Why does he come in right now and say, one of you will betray me? I believe it's just a reminder for the disciples and for us of why Jesus had to die. See, Jesus had to die because of our betrayal. That is the reason he had to die. Because of the betrayal of mankind dating all the way back to the garden, Jesus had to die. And he's giving us a reminder here. Because of our betrayal. When the disciples hear Jesus, they're sorrowful. They're fearful that it's them. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Jesus responds, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And Jesus' response here points out two things. First, he is pointing out that one of the, the one who will do this, that one is among his closest friends. One of his closest friends will be the one to betray him. As we think about this, isn't this the worst type of betrayal? It's one thing if someone betrays you and you, you don't know them, but for one of your closest friends to betray you. Jesus is, is illustrating this, but he's not only illustrating this point. That one who would betray him is coming from his inner circle. But Jesus is demonstrating his understanding of the future plan. That it would be Judas who would betray him. Now Jesus continues speaking and he makes two more important points. He says, the son of man goes as it is written of him. Jesus knows he's going to die. He knows the Old Testament prophecies. He knows the plan that has been set out eons before time. He knows what's going to happen. Is the only way, and he knows this, he knows he must die for the sins of his people. But he also knows he will be betrayed. And that it would be better for that man if he had never been born. Again, why does Jesus say this? How does he say it would be better for that man if he had never been born? Well, although it was the will of the Father for Jesus to go to that cross, it was the will of the Father to crush him for the sins of of man. It is still man's sin that sent Jesus to that cross. 
Even though Judas' betrayal, even though the, the betrayal of Christ had to happen, Judas is still the one who betrayed Jesus, and he is still responsible for his sin. Yes, God is sovereign over the world, but man is still responsible for his actions. In verse 25, Judas will ask Jesus if it is him. And Jesus' response is, you have said so. And again, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is only affirming what Judas does is Judas is responsible for. What Judas, the, the actions of Judas, he is responsible for. Now you may be saying to yourself at this point, how could Judas do such a thing? How could he betray one of his closest friends and then ask him, is it going to be me, knowing in his heart that he was already planning it? How could he betray Jesus, a man who he had seen do miracles, who he had seen heal people, who he had seen raise someone from the dead? How could he do this? How could we do such terrible things? It is our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. We are responsible for the sin that was required for Jesus to die. Our sin is the reason why Jesus had to die. And he had to die to take away that sin so that we might have life. See, the death of the Lamb of God was required to satisfy the demands of our sin. This is also why we remember and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because it is a reminder of the gift of life that we do not deserve. The Lord's Supper is the final sign that the feast of the Passover pointed to. When Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on the cross, he became our once and for all Passover Lamb. Dying the death we deserve and allowing us to be passed over in the judgment. Our sin to be passed over and washed away. When Jesus took the bread as a symbol of his body that would be broken, he told the disciples to eat it as a symbol of their own reception of his life given for them. In the same way that as the disciples, we eat the bread as a symbol of the body of Christ, believing in the promises of God that he will deliver us from the death we deserve. We trust in the promises of God that he will deliver us from death and give us new life when we take that bread and we eat it. That action is our only thing we can do to show and demonstrate our trust in Christ. Every time we come to the table, we affirm our need for the body of Christ broken for us. Next, Christ took the cup, a symbol of his blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Shed blood being the symbol of death, the symbol of the dying lamb, Christ giving his life for his people. And the blood being the payment, his death, his own death being the payment for the sin of his people. Someone had to die, and Jesus died for us. And his blood is what is symbolized in that cup. 
and is a symbol of the full pardon of the sins of the people. It is a symbol of the payment made so the people might be passed over. His people. When the Lord says, drink all of you, again, he is saying, by drinking this, you are demonstrating your trust in him and in the promise of God that you will be delivered from death because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Just like the Israelites thousands of years ago as they waited through that night, trusting in the promises of God, we wait in this life knowing, hoping, trusting in that promise that we will be delivered from that death that we deserve. And in Jesus' final words of institution, he anticipates the feast that will be had in the kingdom of God. The feast that the Lord's Supper is pointing towards. It's sometimes called the marriage supper of the Lamb, as we saw in our call to worship. And it will be a feast celebrating the great and awesome work of our Savior, who redeemed a people for himself, a people who betrayed him, a people who were guilty of sin, but who he pursued and saved out of bondage. We celebrate his great work to save us by taking of his supper in faith right now but also looking toward that final feast. In that final feast, we will no longer be looking forward to the coming deliverance, but we will experience it in full. It is on that day of the Lord that we will once again be face to face with Jesus, feasting with him and experiencing true rest. But for now, it is by faith that we take this meal. When we come to the table and we take that little piece of unleavened bread representing his body and the cup of juice representing his blood, we are trusting in the promises of God, looking back on his work on the cross and looking forward to his final deliverance when it comes again. By eating this meal, we demonstrate our faith in him and in his work on our behalf. Christ gives us this sign today as a way to spiritually fill us up as we continue on in our journey until that glorious day, that glorious day when he will return and we will feast with him in Zion, the heavenly city with our king, Jesus. Do you trust in these promises? If so, this table is for you. Receive the work of Christ on your behalf. Receive forgiveness for sin and the righteousness of Christ. And if you have never trusted in Christ, the table is set. The blood of Christ has been poured out for many. There is room for you at his table. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you for giving us the Lord's Supper as a reminder of what you have done. Father, as a reminder of what you have done to free us from bondage, to save us from the judgment that is coming. God, we thank you. We thank you for giving us this sign as a tangible reminder for us mere tangible people. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the fact that it not only points forward, points backward, but that it also points forward to your return and that we will feast with you in Zion together. We will feast with you in eternal rest. God, we pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name.